Well, I hope you're having a good week. I appreciate you joining in with us for our midweek time of prayer and devotion. And it's a blessing to join with you and share with you from God's Word as we continue to go through the summer in our Psalms series. We're continuing tonight in Psalm 144. But before I get into the Psalm, I want to pray and just ask the Lord's blessing on our time together and uh, ask Him to speak to us through his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together at this midweek service, a time of prayer and devotion, and you have sustained us by your spirit and your word, and you bring us constant encouragement and strength and comfort and hope, and for that we're thankful. We pray for our church family. We know there are many needs represented, some that are physical others that are going through the loss of a loved one and grieving and still others that are dealing with work situations and concerns and lord we pray that uh, our faith would be strengthened that our devotion to you would be increased and even tonight as a result of us coming together for this time of studying your word that uh, your holy spirit would be our teacher and just remind us of what a great god you are and how worthy you are of our praise and our adoration. Uh, Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. Uh, none of us are deserving of your grace, but yet you give it to us uh, super abundantly. And for that, we say thank you. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I would invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to make your way to Psalm 144. Tonight, the message is entitled, Sing a New Song of Praise. Praying the Psalms can move us from a lament of struggle to a song of praise. And that's what we're going to experience tonight in this psalm. Uh, psalm 144 is thought to have been written near the time that David was recognized as king over Israel, uh, or perhaps a little bit further in when he was experiencing some significant persecution and was being pursued by his enemies. And he's calling out to the Lord and singing a new song to the Lord regarding the Lord's faithfulness. And what I want to do with this psalm is share it with you section by section. But I want to draw your attention in just for a moment on verses 9 and 10. I think verses 9 and 10 are really the theme of this particular psalm. Or we might refer to it as the heart of this psalm. And I'll read those verses now, beginning in verse 9. I will sing a new song to you, O God, on a harp of ten strings. I will sing praises to you. Verse 10, the one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David his servant from the deadly sword. He refers here to the instrument of ten strings. It was a common musical instrument of that time. It's depicted pretty commonly in both uh, Near Eastern texts and paintings. And this newness theme that arises out of verse 9 is repeated several times in the scripture. And it's repeated with the idea that God is a God who specializes in doing new things. He renews our bodies our souls, and our spirits. When we sing to God a new song, we, in effect, worship Him and praise Him, but at the same time, 
we're being continually renewed by remembering the great things that God has done in the past and anticipating the great things that God will do in the future. So in these few moments that we have together, I want to emphasize some characteristics of this new song of praise that the psalmist emphasizes. And the first characteristic is this. A new song of praise focuses on the greatness of God. A new song of praise focuses on the greatness of God. Look at verse 1 and 2 in the beginning of the psalm. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. So David begins his prayer by praising God for training him, training him in how to be a successful warrior and also thanking God for the victories that he has experienced in the past. If we were to compare David to today's warriors, we would undoubtedly be able to say that David would have been classified as a special forces soldier. He would have been an elite soldier in God's army, and because of his military capacity, as well as his bravery and his courage, he would also be the same today. And he's making the point here that training is essential to the success of a soldier. Now, the reality is life is not a physical battle for most of us, and for that, we can all be thankful. But for all of us who are walking in the light of God's righteousness, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And this spiritual battle is of epic proportions. We have a formidable foe. And we're engaged against the forces of darkness. Yes, we know that we've already won the victory in Christ. But in the meantime, we're involved in this battle. And because of that, it's a real spiritual struggle. He addresses God here with seven titles. And these seven titles that he addresses God with are spoken of very personally. He addresses them from the first person. He says that God is my rock. The word rock in the Hebrew is a way of expressing strength. He's speaking of God as an unshakable foundation. And when our hearts are right, our praise to God will be right. The believer has an undergirding source of confidence. And that undergirding source of confidence is the person, the power, and the presence of the Lord. He also refers to God as my loving kindness. The loving kindness of God is hesed in the Hebrew. It's the loyal and covenant love of God. In fact, it literally means that. It means covenant loyalty. Loving kindness is a part of who God is. And the Bible says repeatedly that God delights in showing loving kindness, and then we praise him for it. Psalm 118 says that the loving kindness of God is forever. He repeats it four times in Psalm 118. 
In Psalm 136, he refers to the loving kindness of God as being everlasting. And in that psalm, it's repeated 26 times for particular emphasis. The loving kindness of God has an element of divine mercy. You see, I think David knew full well that he was a wretched man. He was guilty in the sight of a holy God. He had no standing on his own. And yet the loving kindness of God, the covenant love of God, the mercy giving of our God welcomes us into his presence. And the loving kindness of God has an element of faithfulness. So when we speak of a covenant, a covenant has an inferred bond of loyalty. And we can say this with great confidence. God is loyal to his people. And what follows is that if God is loyal to his people, then his people should be loyal to God. The loving kindness of God has an element of kindness that is displayed in his patience and his generosity and in his benevolence toward his children. He refers to God also as my fortress. He's our safe abiding place. Now, you know that the world is full of pressure and stress and peril and danger and stuff that is just downright difficult to cope with. So what do we do? Where do we go? Well, we go to our God, who is our fortress. He's the one who is our safe abiding place. Then the Lord is my high tower. As from a lofty position, the believer is strengthened and lifted up with God. You see, all things are within the sight of God. God is over all things. And God, as my tower, lifts me up in the midst of trouble, and he strengthens me as he does it. And then he says, God is my deliverer, indicating rescue from danger. Now, we know that the deliverance of God is also a significant theme in the scriptures. Uh, we see that all the way back uh, toward the beginning of the Old Testament. We see that in the narrative of the Exodus, when God delivered his people from human slavery and bondage, but also delivered them to something else. And we know that ultimately, spiritually speaking, there is a final exile that is coming for sinners who refuse to return to God in repentance and trust in Christ for salvation. And God, because he is kind toward his creation, continually warns of that coming judgment. And the creator has made a way for people to be reconciled to him and to be rescued from danger through his only son. And then he refers to God as my refuge. He is our shield. So each of these shows the character of God. And each of these shows the reality of a relationship with God and the things that we can anchor our lives down in when we are following God. The second characteristic of a new song is that a new song of praise arises from an understanding of our dependence on God. A new song of praise arises from an understanding of our dependence on God. Look at verse 3. Lord, what is man 
that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you are mindful of him man is like a breath his days are like a passing shadow now in light of the power of god the psalmist almost seems to be amazed or in wonder that god would take an interest in him personally or that god would take an interest in people in general he's told us all these things that god is and he's spoken of that personally but now it's like he's in awe of the fact of god taking notice of humanity and also his dependence on god now interestingly psalm 8 asks the same questions from a slightly different perspective here the emphasis is on the lord as a warrior that nobody can oppose in psalm 8 the emphasis is on the power of god as the creator and the sustainer of the universe and a common method of repetition is used here to bring the emphasis on the unexpected care of god for his people now here's the point life is temporary it's like a breath and our days are like a passing shadow. I shared a message uh, just a couple of months back from James chapter 4 dealing with this very subject. But I want to return to that just for a moment and read James 4 in verses 13 through 16. And here's what the scripture says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil now who is james speaking to in that passage with a particular warning he's speaking to people who are planning as though they are not subject to a sovereign god nor are they bowing down before the only sovereign god they're acting as though they can plan out their lives and it guarantee that it be guaranteed that it will come to pass when in reality life is so fragile it is so brief life is frail and we go about life and we make plans and as though we're going to live forever and be healthy and if that is minus a dependence on a sovereign god then such boasting is evil and life is short a vapor is short-lived you see a mist for just a moment and then a few minutes later it's gone you see the steam rising from your coffee cup and in just a second it disappears life is like a breath that you take and then it's gone see that's the reality and we don't like to think about it that way but one of the things that i think has uh, stirred in some ways a healthy and in some ways a very unhealthy fear uh, with the current circumstance that we're experiencing is it has caused many people this health crisis has caused many people 
to think about their own mortality, to think about the fact that life is not guaranteed. Now, in reality, that's always true, but it's particularly true, and people are thinking about it a little bit more. But the question is, what are they going to do about it when they think about it? They're going to be caught up in fear and try to come up with their own solution to their fear? Or are they going to look to God and have hope and live a life of faith and a life of confidence? Because just due to the fact that there is a pandemic going on does not mean that life is any more fragile than life has ever been. It's always been fragile. It's always been frail. It has always been short. And each of us needs to know that our confidence is in the Lord. Psalm 90 says the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength there are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it will soon be cut off and we fly away. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. And then he says this in Psalm 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Life is frail, life is short, death is certain. Amy Carmichael, the well-known missionary to India in the first half of the 20th century, said, we will have eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. Let me say that again, Amy Carmichael. We will have eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. The psalmist in Psalm 144 is reminding us that life is short. Our days are like a passing shadow. Eternity is long. And if all these things are true, we cannot afford to not live life to its fullest. We cannot afford to be bound up in fear. We cannot afford to be immobilized by our own anxiety. We have to lean into the Lord and see that the Lord is our strength. The Lord is our strong tower. The Lord is our loving kindness. And as we do that, we find purpose in life that points us toward the eternal. And not only does it point us toward the eternal, but we also have a passion for other people so that they too might know the eternal God. And that's what a, a new song of praise will do in our lives. And then the third characteristic of a new song of praise is that it comes from confidence in God as our defender. It comes in confidence from God uh, in our, as our defender. Now let's look again at verse 5. Bow, your, uh, bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters. From the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Now, there are phrases and images here that I think are reminiscent of the experience of Moses on Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, it's speaking of the presence of a holy God, thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a 
the sound of a trumpet that was very loud and the people in the camp trembled and the mountain was completely in smoke and the Lord descended in the fire on the top of the mountain. See, all these things remind us that there is a real sense of awe and I would say even terror connected with the presence of a holy God. And when we are running to the presence of a holy God, rather than running away from the presence of a holy God, we find comfort and strength rather than fear and anxiety. See, during David's days as a fugitive from Saul, when he was in pursuit of him, he had many enemies and lies and slander that came against him. The enemies are spoken of here as foreigners in a sense, because they did not know God or follow him. And what rises out of these verses that we just read from verses 5 through 8 is the concept of God as the deliverer. And I don't know if you watch uh, war movies at all. They can be exciting. They can also be rather stressful. They're particularly exciting when you know the winning uh, outcome. Uh, nobody wants to be caught in a battle, and war is nothing to cheer but when you're well aware of the victor in the moment of tension along the way, uh, you'll not be caught up in fear, but in confidence. So if you know the outcome of a real life battle uh, of what's ultimately going to happen, that the victory has already been won, then you are confident that you're going to experience the deliverance. And the point is, we're involved in a massive spiritual war. We're facing battles every day. And we have no question of the outcome because Jesus Christ is the victor. We have struggles, we have challenges, but we also have the certainty of a strong Savior. We have confidence in the one who is the deliverer. Doesn't matter what the enemy throws out at us, we can hope in the deliverance and in the protection of our Lord and our God. You see what that does for us is it gives us a grand hope. It gives us a confidence that God is in control, that he's with us. He is our defender. He is our redeemer. Now, the reality is there are often times in our lives when we're misunderstood, when we're like David, there's things that are said about us that are just flat, untrue, there are people that just don't like us, they criticize us, they judge us, they attack us, they spread rumors about us. And let me say here, just for a moment, don't be those people who do that. You don't want to be on the flip side of this. But if you're on the receiving end of it, what's your tendency? Your tendency, my tendency, my sinful, fleshly tendency is to defend myself. You know what I want to do when I get insulted? I want to insult back. You, want to, you know what I want to do when I get criticized? I want to criticize back. But yet that's not the example that Jesus gave us. The scripture says in 1 Peter 2, that he who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, chapter 2 and verse 23 of 1 Peter, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. So if Jesus Christ did not do this, and he had every right to, 
If Jesus did not do this, then who do I think I am to try to take matters into my own hands rather than trusting in God as my deliverer? And could it not be that God is allowing me or even placing me in his sovereignty in those particular circumstances so that I can learn more about him and trust in him even more rather than trying to solve my own problems? There's some lessons here to be learned. And then finally, we come to the last part of this psalm. The next characteristic is that a new song of praise recognizes the blessings that come from the hand of God. Let's pick back up reading in verse 12. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters uh, may be as pillars uh, sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. So all of a sudden he's moving from God as the deliverer, the one who gives salvation to kings in verse 10, the one who rescues me and delivers me from the hand of foreigners in verse 11. And then he begins to speak of the blessings. And here are the blessings. They focus very simply but very powerfully on the everyday blessings and everyday concerns of people. And the first part of it is an emphasis on specifically people. The blessing of well-rooted sons and stately daughters. The imagery of the children is not that they're out growing wild on their own, but rather they are trees that are planted by hand in a good location, chosen for the best growth. They are well cared for so that they grow in maturity. We want them to grow strong. We want them to grow tall. We want them to bear fruit. And these are children that are well cared for. They're purposefully placed. They are intentionally nurtured. They are pruned along the way. And the result being that they would grow up in their youth in the Lord. And then that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style. Now that's interesting language. Uh, beautiful palaces then contained a number of large columns that were both decorative and weight-bearing. Uh, the most expensive ones were made out of marble. They were highly polished. Uh, they were put into place. And the, the united uh, parts of the building and the pillars would hold things together. But the idea is that the master craftsman would take extra time and these elements of the building would be both graceful and useful. They would be beautiful and strong. And the idea is that the daughters would be polished with godly character. So this is the first blessing focusing on people. The second blessing focuses on prosperity. He's speaking of the blessing of the work of our hands. Now we want to work in things that are honorable to God, that are helpful to others. 
Sometimes those things are rather mundane. They're not particularly exciting. They're relatively pedestrian. But even so, they're a part of the world moving and working and coming together. And we're asking the Lord to bless the work of our hands and to give us prosperity in him. And then finally, after people and prosperity, the blessing is the blessing of peace. And this, this language here in verse 14 is interesting, and I think it speaks uh, significantly to this day of outrage and unrest and lack of peace that we're living in. Because he says in verse 14, that there be no outcry in our streets. He's praying for the blessing of peace in his community. The same thing that we should be praying for as well. Now let's conclude with verse 15. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So this theme of happiness goes along with blessing. And it's a deep sense of joy because of who God is, who we are in him. And uh, I want to read a quote to you from Blaise Pascal uh, that I think is very telling. He said, this is kind of uh, harshly realistic, so just hold on and listen well. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. And then he concludes with this, speaking of the motive of happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Now that's really harsh. But let's think just for a moment about the extreme of what he's communicating. People try to go to varying lengths in different routes to find happiness, and they often come up empty. The only way that we will come up full is if we seek happiness and find happiness in the Lord. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians chapter 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So I want you to know that God is the ultimate source of happiness. And you will find nothing but problems nothing but trouble if you seek happiness anywhere else because the only place that your greatest needs and your deepest longings can be fulfilled is in God but when you find satisfaction for your greatest needs and your deepest longings in God you'll be happy and happy verse 15 says are the people whose God is the Lord. Do you have a new song in your heart? Is it a song of praise to God because you're growing in dependence on Him and confidence in who He is? That's the point of Psalm 144. I hope that you'll make it a part of your devotion even for the remainder of this week and 
think about who God is and what he does on behalf, not just of his people in general, but of you specifically when your faith and your trust is in him. I'm going to pray and wrap up our service. I hope to see some of you in person on Sunday. Uh, We're continuing to have plenty of space in each one of our services, but we've been blessed to be able to gather together. If you're still with us online uh, exclusively, then we're thankful to have you and are continuing to pray for you and hope that you feel as connected as possible as things move forward. And let's just keep praying together for God's grace in our lives and let's be an encouragement to one another. I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, the time that we have to study this psalm. And we're reminded of what a great God you are and how uh, personally you relate to us as your children. Lord, I pray that there would be a new song of praise in our hearts that would overcome all fear and all anxiety and all stress that, that when those things come in the midst of this spiritual battle that we're engaged in, that we will look again to you as our victor and as our deliverer. And as a result of that, we would be filled with hope and encouragement. Help us to be a blessing to one another and continue to sustain us, Lord, as we look to you for our strength. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.